told me was that he made extra coffee this morning. I, I don't know if he knew I was talking, but apparently he did. Okay. I was talking to her about teaching her uh, subject, and she taught uh, on this with Judy Rossi in a women's uh, marriage class as part of the women's ministry here. She said, I have one piece of advice for you as you prepare for this. Do not Google naked and ashamed. <laughs> so I, uh, I, I took that advice. Always listen to your wives. That's probably all I need to say today, but let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer if we could. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for this day. We thank you, Lord, that you came down, that you died for us to show us the way that we may be in eternity, Lord. And we know that's a choice we need to make, and I pray every man in this room has made that choice, Lord. We also thank you, Lord, for the gifts you give us, including marriage. We ask that you lead us tonight, Lord. Please be among us today as we discuss this part, this incredibly important topic, God. God, search our hearts. God, test our mind. Know our anxious thoughts, Lord. Just reveal to us any offensive way and, and lead us in your everlasting this morning and bless us with your presence. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. All right, so today we're going to be covering two chapters of covenant marriage. Uh, the book we're reading here, excuse me, I'm going to put this over here before I knock it off. <clears throat> and they have to do with uh, the chapters are naked and ashamed. And then came close. Um, and really, but what we're trying to do, we're, we're, we're exploring what is intimacy. And next week, Richard's going to talk more about this and the emotional side of intimacy. But this morning, what Chapman's going for in these chapters, I think, is trying to give us a, a godly definition of intimacy. What did God mean with, when, when, he, when he put marriage together, when he created marriage? And, and so... Um, through these two chapters, uh, goes through the, uh, the biblical narrative in, in some detail, and we're going to do the same thing this morning. So we're going back to the Bible. We're gonna, I want you all to open up. We're going to start with Genesis 2.18, uh, because if we, don't, if we don't pay attention to the biblical narrative of marriage, if we don't understand God's definition and, and purpose for marriage here, then we're lost at the outset. Um, so we're going to walk through that this morning. Before we get to, to Genesis 2.18, uh, let's just refresh our minds. We all kind of know what happened, but let's just refresh our minds where we are coming up to this point. God creates all these things. He creates Adam. He creates him in his image, okay, as we know from Genesis 1, 26 through 27, and tells him to multiply and fill the earth. And what's he filling the earth with? Well, he's filling the earth with God's image. He's filling the earth with God's glory. So, so we start to see a purpose there. And we have, so we have creation, we have the heavens, we have the earth, the land, sea, plant life, wildlife, and Adam formed from the soil. It's all in place, and we come to Genesis uh, 2.18. And then the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Okay, so here's our starting point when we look at really what is the first wedding, if you will. Um... Now, I'm going I'm to apologize ahead of time, but we're going to be jumping in and looking at quite a few of these words in the original Hebrew because it's important to understand what's going on with the, with the language here. And it's sometimes more, sometimes it can be lost in translation. And, and I want to start with, with that word helper here, is there. 
it's, helper's a very good translation. You may have something similar to that, companion, helpmate, or something in your, in your, in your version, but, but helper's a good translation. The, the thing that we need to get straight here, though, is the sense of that word. Okay, how is that word being used? And it's, it's not being used here as identifying a helper who is a subordinate. That's not it at all. In fact, you, if you look up the same use of this word, it's used throughout the Bible in reference to who? Any thoughts? God. God. Exodus 2, 18.4, uh, 18, God, my father, was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Psalm 121, that same word for help, where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord. That same word for help is, is, is the word that's used here. So uh, unless, unless you believe that God is somehow subordinate to David or Moses, and if you do, please stay away from me, um, that's not the case at all, is it? So we already start with this idea of who is God's helper. It's, 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 it's an equal to, to Adam, obviously. But more importantly, it is someone that Adam needs to for who he is his being, his purpose. Where would we be without God? So, we start with that. The next word I want to uh, take a look at in this verse is this word, neged. Um, translated, uh, well, it's probably translated suitable for you all. It's, it's, that's the, the version of the NASB. Um, but it means something more than that. The, original, the, the Hebrew can mean in front of. We know that's not the right word. Or it could mean before, but the actual meaning really at issue here, the sense that's, that's at issue here is this sense that it's opposite to. So he's creating a helper who is opposite to Adam, not opposing. That might be sometimes in, in our marriages where we get that confused. Not opposing, but opposite to. Um, and so it's, it's opposite to yet corresponding, and it's a... It's tough to sometimes understand what, what, why, you know, what is God's plan here. Uh, but I think one way to think about it in a very simplistic form is a plug and a socket. A plug and a socket are opposite. But they cannot per, per, perform their function alone. Nor can the plug plug into another plug or a socket fill itself with its, another socket. The two create their function. So that's, that's what God's looking at when he's looking at suitable here. Now, this analogy breaks down because we're not going to, don't get the message I'm sending you, you can go plug into any socket, right? It's more intimate than that. You don't want to shock like that. All right? So I think this is probably a better analogy. Two pe puzzle pieces come together. They're opposite. They're very different, but they're intended to be together to do what? To fulfill a picture, a beautiful picture of what God intended. So, so we start off, this is just the first, very first verse. And, um, and we see in this God defining marriage as something much more than just the intimacy we think of in our culture today. Much more than physical intimacy, than sex, than um, a candlelight dinner staring into each other's eyes. This is an ingrained sense of the being of who we are as humans. I like the way Chapman highlights the significance of intimacy. Um, intimacy is not sameness. 
Becoming close does not mean we become identical, that we lose our individuality. Because we are different, there is potential for exploration and discovery. And the excitement of the process adds a whole new dimension to marriage. I think this is a pretty important way to start looking at marriage. All right, so God's identified Adam's need for a helper and defined the person the helper should be. And yet we come to this next verse, which is very much in the context of God creating man and woman. And in the middle of it, we have this verse, that out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. Now what's going on here? Did God not foresee how Adam would find a helper? Did he, did, was, he, was this sort of a, well, let's just see. Well, we'll bring and pray the animals before him. It'll be a trial and error. No, that's, obviously that's not the case. God's omniscient. He knows what he's going to do. He's not capable of error. So why is he almost before him? Well, he wants to give Adam an opportunity to survey and determine whether these animals are suitable. He wants to give Adam, he wants Adam to appreciate what he's about to do. And so he puts all these animals under his power, brings them forth. You think about the fact that um, that. The man names the cow, uh, gave me, name to, the, the, to all the cattle and the birds of the f- sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was uh, not found a helper suitable for him. He's naming these animals. You think about that process. It's a close inspection. That word found, you can find something by stumbling apro- upon it somewhere, right? You can, you can, I, can, uh, I can find a, you know, a dime on the street or whatever. That's not that. It's not the word that's at issue here. That word is found in the sense of after searching diligently for something. Like me and my iPhone seems like every morning. Okay? It's, I have a black iPhone. I can never find it because I never know where I put it. But it's that searching, searching, searching. So Adam's looking at these animals because, you know, he's, he's, he's diligently trying to understand what it is here that would make a suitable help for him. And, and he has this opportunity to search them. But he, his inspection yields no fruit. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And he took one of the ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. A deep sleep. So ahead of our first marriage, we have our first anesthesia, it seems. I'll let you do with that what you will. But I want to focus here actually on... The rib. God takes a rib out of Adam. Seems drastic to me. I mean, a blood sample, a fingernail, you could get DNA from anything these days, right? Why the rib? Well, um, I like the way John Calvin puts it on this, um, on this particular verse. He says, Something was taken from Adam in order that he might embrace with greater benevolence a part of himself. He lost, therefore, one of his ribs, but instead of it, a far richer reward was granted him since he obtained a faithful associate of life. For he now saw himself, who had been before been imperfect, rendered complete in his wife. And in this we see a true resemblance of our union with the Son of God. For he became weak, that we, have members of his, we the members of his body, might be endued with strength. I find that parallel drawn here between the marriage and the relationship of Christ and the church is... We see that, of course, in Ephesians 5.23 and elsewhere. is astounding to me. Um, God's plan's amazing, man, is it not? 
all the way to the beginning here. You just can't, you can't deny that his plan is amazing. And so the Lord fashioned into woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Okay, so we're, we're, we're jumping through our Hebrew words here, and, and the one I wanted to focus on here was this word, um, retzeh, or fashioned, and um, that should be a devar, anyway, um, for, to build here. <clears throat> They're different words. That first word is used to describe forming of man, Okay, and so we see it in, in, in verses 2-7, and also creatures, you see it in 2-19, Genesis 2-19, and it actually has to do with, with you know, how God, what God does is he pulls together the soil of the ground, the dust, and he forms it. So it's, it has an, um, a sense of the way a potter works clay. It's actually often, that's the, the use of the word, like a potter and clay. And we see that motif throughout the Bible, do we not? Who, the clay and the potter. Um, the word that he used for Eve however, is this different word. It's to build. It's actually like to build or construct a building. So he's taking the bone, he's taking the rib and, and the flesh out of Adam, and he's, he's intimately building it out of his essence, of him. You know, and, and it would be one thing if he raised up Eve out of the soil, and he'd have Adam and Eve, and they would be parallel, okay? Kind of the way our culture sees things. He doesn't do that. He takes the woman from the man. And man said, this now, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So we see this already, the, the making of Eve. We see this fundamental unity or oneness between man and woman that suggests the deepest form of intimacy, I would say, possible between any creative beings. That's what the marital relationship is. That's what man and woman were intended to be by God. And man rec- uh, the man recognizes this. Uh, he knows where Eve came from. He was asleep at the time, but obviously he understands she's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Um, and interestingly, this is the first time we hear Adam talk in the Bible. So it's a remarkable statement for the first time that uh, his recorded statements are, are taken down by uh, and, and captured by Moses. Uh, but What's interesting here uh, for me are the references to uh, the pronouns that are used. The first one, the man said, is Adam. Now, that is typically translated man, mankind, humankind. The way we would probably think of it today or, or, or it would be if you used a scientific terminology, something like species. So we are homo sapiens, right? It identifies um, what Adam is, okay? But then he shifts and he says, now the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. That woman, that word is Isa. That word can be translated woman, but it's also translated wife. And then we shift back again and all of a sudden... He goes from Adam to because she was taken out of Is, man, husband. So the terminology in this tracks here um, really our first our first wedding. 
God presents Eve to Adam, and here Adam accepts. And accordingly, God moves the rib, removes the rib from the man, and God builds a woman who's separate and distinct from man, but yet of the same bone and the same flesh. And as we know, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Those words are far more than something we simply recite at a wedding ceremony. It's God's plan. It's who he intended us to be. Again, uh, I like the way Chapman puts it. Do I have it? Uh, no, yeah, I do have it. <clears throat> because woman was taken from man, she is related to man. There's something deep within the man that cries out for the woman. It's something within the woman that longs for companionship of the man. We were made to be complete, not to complement. Uh, but uh, Sorry, we were made not to compete, but to complement. Adam found in Eve a resting place, a home, a relative, one who was deeply and uniquely related to him. Eve found the same in Adam. And the man and the woman were both naked and were not ashamed. I want to just quickly touch on that relationship that Chapman talks about, that, that deep, unique relationship, okay, where you have this idea of two beings, multiple beings, different persons who are one. Where do we see something like that? In the Bible, in the Trinity. Do we see our marriages, our relationships, as an extension or a reflection of the Trinity? Because if we don't, we don't really see what God intended for us. Think about that relationship. And this is what gets so tragic about what happens. And I'll wrap this up in a second um, next and what this verse is um, alluding to. But I want to just touch on that word there for ashamed. Um, uh, Bos, it means uh, to be ashamed uh, in front of each other or before each other, not to be ashamed by your action. That's, uh, there, that, your word is used um, for those who act shamefully. Uh, Proverbs 17.2 or Jeremiah 2.26, other ways. But here it's a, basically saying they are ashamed of their being, just being who they are. <clears throat> and so we know what happens next. I'm going to just jump ahead to Genesis 3.7. We know Adam, um, Eve is deceived, and she eats from the tree, and Adam eats from the tree, and then their eyes are opened and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. We think about Satan's promise in verse 5, Genesis 3, 5. He promises that the man and woman will know good and evil. Does he not? Um, he is the great deceiver. He's the great liar because uh, they buy into it. They eat from the tree. But Eve, I suggest, and Adam too, we're probably focused on the good side of that. All Satan gave them was the evil. And so we end up here, um, something close to, in my, I'll submit to you, the first divorce. Yeah, I know, Adam and Eve don't get divorced. They don't split up. They go on to have children. They go on to create and have creation. But, but, but when you think about this is the first separation into two, what God intended to be one, the covering of their nakedness marked a distinct point of separation, a distinct barrier between man and woman that has existed ever since. And 
Men, I think this is the starting point of all of our troubles, whether it's subjugation of women, reduction of women to objects of lust, right? Pornography, prostitution, women's rebellion to that, this development of the feminism and the feminist theologies that have found their way into the church now. This is all out of this broken relationship where two people no longer see each other as one. It's, it's, it's based in selfishness. Um, and God said it would be the case that it will now be enmity between man and woman, right? Genesis 3.15. And I'll wrap it up with this because this is the, really the truly um, tragic side of what, this is, what has happened as we move into uh, From Naked and Unashamed. And that's an incorrect title up there. It should now be clothed. But they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So we have the real root of the problem. Adam and Eve, what do they do? It's right there, right? What do they they seek to separate themselves from God. They're now ashamed. They now can see each other. They now have knowledge of, of, of each other in a way that God did not intend. And then they seek to separate themselves from God. Their relationship with them is now broken. And so, hence, is their relationship between themselves. Absent restoring that relationship with him, if it's not present in the marriage, as God intended, which is a unity between man and woman with God as the glue, um, it's lost. As Chapman writes, we can learn a lot from their experience. But what we can learn from their experience is that no husband and wife will experience high-level intimacy unless they are experiencing oneness with God. The broken relationship with God is the reason for fear and shame as we stand face-to-face -face with each other. If we can face God knowing that we have confessed our sins and have been forgiven then we have the potential to face our mates with the same openness. Keeping our integrity with God is essential to experiencing genuine intimacy in a marriage relationship. So if you're all, if anybody here is struggling with marriage, if anybody here is happy in marriage, if anybody here is contemplating marriage, if anybody here is getting over a broken marriage, it doesn't matter where you are, there's one place you have to be. You need to be restored to your Savior, if you are not. You need this. Your wife needs this. God's plan needs this, too. So what do we take away from here? First thing I want to say is this. Satan destroyed marriage in the garden that day. He didn't, and he can't. He can destroy marriages, but he can't destroy marriage as God intended it. The fact that woman was taken from man and the beautiful intimacy that comes from the combination of both our distinctiveness and our unity fundamentally, is fundamentally sown into our very being from the, from the very get-go. And Satan can't change that. He thinks he can, or he wants you to think he can. He wants you to think she's just, she's just so different than me, and we're not the same, and we can't be one, and I'm, I'm not equally yoked, and whatever the word is. That's Satan talking. God says you are one with your world. I want us to imagine for a second what the world would look like if we could be united to God's standard for the relationship between man and woman. It would be a very different place. But it starts here. It starts with us. So let me pray.
Heavenly Father, Father, we, we thank you. We thank you for the plan you had. We thank you that you cared so deeply for us, Lord, that you, you would take this time to build a relationship between man and woman as intimate as, as that between you and the Son, your Son and the Holy Spirit, Lord, that you create out of us one being. And Lord, I pray today that we would all be restored to this, no matter where we are in our marriages, whether we're struggling or not, whether we're looking at future marriages, whether we're, we're struggling with broken ones, Lord. Restore us to you and restore us to our wives. Restore men and women, Lord, we ask you this. We ask you for this so much. Father, I pray that um, you would go with these men today and that you'd accept our praises this morning, that you came down, Jesus, to die for us and show us the way. Thank you for that, Lord, and let us forever have an intimacy with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Questions for